Um, I'm going to be reading from John 20, 19 through 31. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the mark of the nails, and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it on my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning and welcome on the second Sunday of Easter. We've been showing old TV shows and cartoons on Thursday nights right here in the chapel as we, uh, as people gather for the Highland Blessing Dinner, which, as you know, doesn't begin until six. And so this is where everybody comes and kind of lines up by table to uh, get ready to go into the the gym. And uh, each week uh, we've been showing these old TV shows and and cartoons. as a way to just kind of keep people from uh, getting too bored in here. And and I must say, it's something that um, has become way too popular. I can't keep up with it. Uh, But the most requests that we have, we've shown um, all different kinds of old shows, Andy Griffith and different things, Um, and most recently, The uh, Three Stooges. How many of you are Three Stooges fans? Okay. Okay. Uh, and we've kept it to the three. We haven't added Shemp or, you know, some of the others in. But um, we're kind of working up to that in the, in the series. But we've also, uh, I think everybody's enjoyed uh, some of the first Flintstones, uh, Looney Tunes, uh, and then Batman. And now this is the Batman with the original, I think it's the original, Adam West, whom I have met before. 
And uh, yeah, there he is right there. Um, in, in one of the Batman shows that we are watching, Batman and Robin escape to the Batcave uh, from the chaos in Gotham. They're able to, to just get away. And I think you see them there uh, in those nice plastic walls that you see back there. Uh, great, great uh, props they have back then. But you, uh, you see them escaping. And, and I forgot how the Batcave just blends right in with its surroundings. If you've ever watched that, you see where they're just traveling down a road, and then all of a sudden, there's the entrance to the Batcave, and boom, they go right in. The uh, new and modern uh, Batman uh, shows are not that much better in terms of the transition uh, into the Batcave, but uh, still, nonetheless, this is a hideout for them. And uh, as they go into the hideout, uh, there's like this, I guess it's a switch or something in the Batmobile, by the way, how many of you have seen the Batmobile? Okay, good. Um, the rest of you, you, you have not lived until you've seen or sat in the Batmobile. But I think there is still a switch in it that you can hit, and it uh, allows them to stealthily enter into the Batcave. And it is in there, behind the walls of their hideout, uh, that the dynamic duo are able to regroup and they're able to plan uh, their next move against whoever the villain is of the week, whether it's Joker or uh, whoever it uh, happens to be. Uh, but watching the show uh, reminded me of how cool I once thought it would be to have a bat cave. I mean, just to have a place like that where you could disappear, where you could get away from everything, you could hide out from all of the realities of the world, and you had this special place that you could go and find safety and security. Well, John describes the disciples' bat cave. Okay, maybe it wasn't a bat cave, but it was a hideout. This place where the disciples went right after the resurrection. They had endured the crucifixion and, and all that went on, and they have gone to this place to where they could get behind uh, the closed doors. And it was a seemingly safe place. I mean, it was a, a place that was out of the way. It was a place where they could bar the door and they could make sure that no one would be able to come in. And they are uh, very much in fear of the officials identifying them as followers of Jesus and arresting them. They are also afraid that the violent death of Jesus could be what happens to them as well. I mean, they, they saw Jesus hanging on a cross. And they knew that outside the, uh, the walls of their city, that there were people who were routinely hung on crosses. Criminals. As if to say, as you're coming into town, you better behave or you're going to be hung on a cross too. And so they've been identified with Jesus. Remember, Peter said, nope, never knew him. I don't know him. He denied him three times to try to get away from identification with Jesus. So they're scared to death. And they are afraid of the reports that the women, as we looked at last week, who went to the tomb and found it empty, and Peter, who went to the tomb and found it empty as well, they're afraid of these reports that Jesus had risen from the dead. Um, somebody came and told you that your loved one uh, had just been seen 
the loved one that you recognized uh, as being dead, the one that you buried, you went to the burial and saw them lower the casket into the ground. If somebody came and said, he's alive or she's alive, I just saw them, you'd be scared to death as well. You'd want to go find a hideout and stay there for a long time. So they are afraid and they find a place with walls and a door that they can secure to keep anyone from coming in. Jesus, though, is not just anyone, is he? He more than anyone wants to come in to be with them, even as they are behind walls, even as they are really doing exactly what Jesus did not want them to do. Walls mean nothing to Jesus. If we had time this morning, you could go through and look at all the different things that Jesus says about walls or all the different times that God is at work against walls and trying to take them down all the while God's people are building more and more walls. And Jesus gets in trouble about talking about walls falling down and things tumbling down. And Jesus mentions these walls here and as he walks through them, um, we realize that walls never were a problem for Jesus. I mean, Jesus had definitely been able to shake a lot of walls in his life. Now, he, as, as the risen Christ, was walking through them as though they were nothing at all to him. And they might have been uh, nothing to him, but at this point, that, you know, these walls were everything to the disciples. All they could think to do as their world crumbled was to find some walls to get behind. As Jesus walked right through them, he greeted them with peace. So it's not enough that Jesus just walks through the, the wall. I mean, just appears. And you know, the disciples were rubbing their eyes and they were thinking, oh my gosh, I, I'm so grief stricken that I'm hallucinating. And they begin to wonder, what is this all about? Who, is this really Jesus? And Jesus shows his wounds. He shows his hands and his feet and his side. And he wants them to understand that that he's not just a resuscitated person, but, but he is a transformed Savior, that he is truly risen from the dead. And so he tells them peace, which is what we sometimes say to each other. May the peace of Christ be with you. By the way, that's what happens here, right? This is an um, invocation of peace or shalom, or wholeness, may you be whole, is what Jesus is saying as He stands before them as one who has been made whole by the resurrection. But then He gets right to this point of stoking their diminishing belief. I mean, they're already beginning to move away from the things that Jesus had taught them. And so He says to them, as the Father has sent Me, so I send you. I mean, that seems strange, doesn't it? You would think that there would be so many other things that someone who had just been executed by crucifixion, who died, and then who came back to life, would be talking about. These days, they would write books, and there would be movies, and all kinds of things about what took place. But Jesus doesn't do any of that. 
He just gets right to the point and talks to them about what the next step was for them. And so he says, get out of this room and get out there where God's work is to be done. Like, what are you guys doing in here? Why are you here? That's how and why God sent me into this world. So now I am sending you out there. You do not belong inside these four walls. And then he breathed on them the Holy Spirit. If you look there in your bulletin, you'll see an unusual graphic that um, Sabre asked me this week. Why is Jesus eating the Holy Spirit? And I said, well, maybe he is. Maybe there's some theological significance to that. But maybe it's that he is breathing out. He is exhaling. And this word, and John is using this word um, as this creative spirit that we find in the Hebrew scripture. As God creates the world, he breathes. He breathes things into existence. Jesus is breathing into them a brand new existence, a new reality. The church, this new reconciled way of living with God. And so this is what he does. This is the first Pentecost. Luke gives us another one, doesn't he? We'll look at that uh, before too long. We'll have Pentecost Sunday and we will consider what it meant for the outpouring of the Spirit upon the church. But here, Jesus does this with his disciples. So I ask you again this morning, do you have a hideout? Don't we all have hideouts? Don't we all have walls that we love to get behind? Walls that we find or walls that we build ourselves that give us some sense of security from Anxiety that we experience in this world? I'm pretty sure the answer is yes. Chances are you are behind some walls right now. There's something that you are hiding behind. Or there is something that you are looking to protect you from all of the the terrible things in the world and all of the chaos that surrounds you. All of this talk of Jesus about service, about forgiveness, about justice, about seeking first the kingdom of God is just enough to cause you to duck and to cover. I mean, if that happened for the disciples, how much more is it going to happen for us? We try to create a buffer to give us a retreat and to allow us to gather ourselves. Giving your life completely to God is scary. Right? For Peter, that was a pretty scary thing. Remember when he walked out onto the water? He sees Jesus walking on the water and he thinks, thinks, okay, well, that's pretty cool. I'd like to do that. And so Jesus says, well, get out of the boat, Peter. Just take a step. And so Peter, full of everything that Jesus had instilled in him and a little bit full of himself as well, steps out onto the water. And things are great, right? Wow, I'm walking on water. But then what happens? He doubts. He falls into the water. And Jesus, of course, reaches in to pull him out. 
he learned that it isn't so easy following in the steps of Jesus. It is not so easy keeping your faith strong and apparent to God and to other people. It is not so easy to overcome your fears and your anxieties. And he learns this lesson and we learn it as well. It is scary to give our lives completely to God when it threatens everything that we want to do with our own lives. It could even get you into trouble with the authorities. We have authorities today, don't we? We have uh, officials of various things all around us, whether it's religion or whether it's you know, how to be a church or how to be an employee who follows in the way of Jesus. And so we find or we create walls. And some of our walls are ones that have been there a long time. Ones that other people have left behind for us. Or ones like fear, tradition. You know tradition, right? Like we've never done it that way before. I remember in our first year as a church, somebody said that, and I nearly fell down. What? We've never done it that. We've never done communion that way before. Or we've never done that song that way before. Right, Bill? We've never done it that way. Therefore, we shouldn't do it a new way. And that's a wall that we put up between us and what God wants to do. Maybe something new that God wants to do. This is what was happening there with those disciples in the room. But also prejudice is a wall that we get behind. People who are prejudiced are people who are scared. They're ignorant as well. And they're reacting out of their ignorance and fear and anxiety about something that is different from them. Something that they think poses a threat to their own identity. But also people find walls made out of drugs... Drug abuse is uh, as severe a problem as ever, isn't it? You hear the presidential candidates talking about it. I mean, when was the last time presidential candidates talked about drugs? It's been a long time, maybe the 80s, right? Just say no and, and all of that that was going on. But it's just getting worse and worse. The drugs are getting more deadly than ever. But also, there are walls made of bottles, as so many hide behind addiction to alcohol and the disease that um, is in their their lives and, and the struggles that go along with that. There are walls that are made of people. We hide behind other people or we hide behind relationships or we hide behind religion. We hide behind our privacy or we hide behind our addiction to work, to our jobs. Maybe you've heard the poem. I I don't know who wrote it, um, but it's titled, I Build Walls. It goes like this. I build walls, walls that protect, walls that shield, walls that say I shall not yield or reveal who I am or how I feel. I build walls, walls that hide, Walls that cover what's inside. Walls that stare or smile or look away. Silent lies. 
Walls that even block my eyes from the tears I might have cried. I build walls, walls that never let me truly touch those I love so very much. Walls that need to fall, walls meant to be fortresses, are prisons after all. We know about walls, don't we? Churches build walls too. In fact, they are quite good at it with a long history of building walls to keep the wrong people out and the right people in. Isn't that how we do it? Isn't that how churches have been doing it for so long, whether it's literally or just spiritually or sociologically? The irony is that Jesus fits in better with the wrong people than with the right people. Isn't that correct? As we look in the Gospels, Jesus is hanging out with the wrong people. That's where he feels most needed. That's where he feels most loved. That's where he is most listened to. And this is why he comes through our silly walls. And he shakes us up a bit when we lose sight of the fact that we don't belong behind them. That really we have no business there. And he says to us, as he said to them and their walls back then, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Jesus tells us there is no place for us there behind those walls. Because the need for love, for reconciliation, for healing, for justice, and for peace is outside our walls. It's out there. I like what John Lewis says about church, about going to church during the civil rights movement. He says, it was not enough to come and listen to a great sermon or message every Sunday morning and be confined to those four walls and those four corners. You had to get out and do something. And that's exactly what Jesus wants the church to do. Jesus never intended for the church to have walls. Church for the Highlands started as a church without walls, didn't it? We talked about we don't really want our own walls. We don't want all of the, uh, the baggage that comes with that and all of the energy and all of the money that goes into making sure our walls stay up. And this is why we place such a great emphasis on our Missional ministry teams. This is why some of you look so tired uh, because you have been busy doing ministry all week, but you haven't been doing it in here. Chances are most of you have not been in these four walls at all this week. Some of you haven't been here in a long time. (laughs) But being out there, that's what you're doing, or you're doing it downstairs as people come in like, Yesterday for our Super Saturday tax preparation or late Thursday night like Larry as he was locked in the building. Uh, Almost nine o'clock and and working and serving other people. And those of you who were serving the meal on Thursday night or making sure that people had clothing, making sure that people had love and care and compassion. And this is what we do. And as the first part of our purpose statement reads, we exist to bless the Highland neighborhood. 
with the love of Jesus. That's why we're here. It doesn't say anything about needing walls to do that. And we can't do that in here. We have to do it out there. Jesus won't let us get comfortable in here. And so Jesus enters in and he sends us out every Sunday, just as God sent him. He directs our attention to a world out there where we can live out what he has put in, where we can join with what God is already doing out there in the lives of people who may never come in here. He sends us out to bring healing to the sick, comfort to the grieving, hope for the hopeless and homeless, forgiveness for the sinner, redemption for those who are lost, justice for the oppressed, love for the unloved, clothes for the clothless, and food for the hungry. The one who rose from the dead who could have talked about anything at all, decided to say just one thing. So I send you. So, where is Jesus sending you? Let's pray.